You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and the Future Tech Health podcast. I have Kun Wu Lee, the CEO and co-founder of GenEdit. And uh, GenEdit deals with uh, gene therapies. They're working on the next generation of non-viral gene editing-based therapeutics. So, Kun Wu, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Hi, Richard. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting oh, me. So tell me, what, what was your motivation in creating GenEdit? That's a little bit of the history of your work and yourself. The genesis of it was like all because of the very interesting genetic engineering technology. Kind of like if we think about like kind of the like kind of human being, we are born with our DNA sequences that we inherit from our parents. And there is some mutation happen when you are born, but still like after you are born, it is like very extremely hard to actually change DNA sequences that you are already born with. And especially mm. if you're already born with genetic mutation that causes like some kind of genetic disorders. Previously, there were not that many possible options that you had, but now the new technology like for the gene therapy and gene editing is actually changing how we cure many types of rare genetic disorders. So that was a like a very big motivation for us to start this company, Genetic. So are there any particular disorders that you're targeting to fix, or is it more the mechanism of how to alter people's genes itself is that you're working on? What's your focus? There are multiple rare genetic disorders, and we have studies, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, fragile X syndrome, and ARPA-1 antitrypsin deficiency. And those are the ones that we had a great success applying the genetic technology. But what I want to like emphasize is like, this is like really a tip of iceberg and using a gene therapy and gene editing approaches, there are hundreds of genetic disorders and also the, some of the disorders beyond genetic. So as we are seeing a lot of 
like cell therapies nowadays. And all those are the potential application and also like areas that gene editing and gene therapy can be used. And to accomplish that type of goal, one really missing piece is a delivery technology. And our company is specialized for the delivery of the gene therapy and gene editing molecules. And just to clarify, are you attempting to modify, uh, you know, babies in utero before they're born? Or is this, you know, can you can you work with adults potentially, you know, they would inject or take some kind of therapy and it would change some or all of their cells genetic code in a certain area? Yeah, I mean, that is really great question because that is something that also like kind of public is like quite cautious about like where the technology is going. And obviously, for most of the pharmaceutical companies, including GenAdit, we focus on kind of treating adult patients and or even juvenile or like adult or juvenile. I may just like say one more time here. So kind of like just like most of the pharmaceutical companies in U.S., GenAdit also focuses on treating patients who are already born with rare genetic disorders. I mean, there was an attempt in China that even kind of considered editing embryo, but still like kind of going into that early application, there are a number of ethical issues and technology hurdles that we really need to overcome. But kind of we focus on treating patients who are already born with it. Well, this seems like a really difficult thing because let's say a particular disorder just affects your heart, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and you go in there to edit the genes that the heart cells have, you know, okay, that's Mm -hmm. one task. If it fails or it goes wrong, it could kill the person, which is obviously terrible. But if you need to modify every cell in the body, and there's like 200 plus cell types, how would you do that? How would that cascade of change look? You know, would you start with certain cells and then over time it would do more and more cells? Like, you know, how would we ever change the genes of every cell type in our body? And is that needed for most disorders or are disorders confined to like one organ or one system? That is really important question. And currently, I would say that it really depends on disorder that we are talking about. Let's say that if we are talking about hemophilia, we just want to change the genetic sequence or provide a new gene to liver hepatocytes because those are the cells that produce the factors which are required to cure the disorder. And also, like, there are many, like, disorder ataxias or, like, let's say the fragile X syndrome. And those are the one that is very important for the CNS, central nerve system. So we we want to deliver to like nerve system, and but other parts of the body, we don't really need to change all the other genes. And the question like kind of becomes, how do we deliver to the target tissue? There are many disorders, and there's a, like some affect heart, some affect 
affect liver, some affect blood cells, and some affect nervous system. And so that they want to develop a technology that actually delivers a gene therapy or gene additive to the target tissue. That has been a huge challenge in the field for the last 20 years. And then there are a few solutions that people have using fiber systems and and also like gen edit perspective, we are focusing on non-binary systems to address that delivery issue. Yeah, I guess one way is that right viruses can infect cells and inject their DNA into them, and that DNA can get incorporated sometimes into cells. You know, I've heard that we have, uh, I guess, endogenous retroviruses in our DNA sequences, right? That we've had for right. maybe millions of years. So, okay, but so instead of virus vectors, you want to focus on what bacterial vectors like CRISPR, Cas9? We are focusing on non virus systems. So, like the backbone of the system, we, would, we call it polymer nanoparticle system. So, maybe like I can make a simple comparison. As you mentioned, that like some of the retroviruses are already integrated their genes. In, uh, in human genome, and it happened millions of years ago. And those type of the integrating viruses, the challenge that we have is that we don't know where it gets in. Let's say that it, it goes into the sequence that can potentially cause cancer. It is going to be a huge problem. Because of that reason, we want a system that we can have a precise control on where we potentially change the genetic sequences or where we deliver our genetic components. And, and our focus is a, is a non-virus system. Virus has been an evolved to like transfect people, but still our immune system has developed um, against those viruses and some of the viruses like do not really get along with human body when they are injected into into the like kind of blood. And so that like what we want is like synthetic delivery system and that encapsulate the cargo quite nicely and then deliver to the target organ of our interest. And then in like many cases we have delivered nucleic acid that encodes quite important genes, which is missing in some of the patients with rare genetic disorder. And also some of the other cases, we have delivered CRISPR-Cas9 and other types of genetic seizures to precisely change the sequence that has a mutation for like that many patients carry. Okay. Um... So you were starting to describe the mechanism by which you're going to affect, um, you know, the cells. You said it was uh, some tiny particles. What, can you rename it and talk about that mechanism a little bit? Yeah, sure. So can the, the approach that we are taking is uh, using a polymer nanoparticle system. And can we name it polymer because, like, it has a many different structure and the rationale is simple. If you think about the antibody, antibody is composed of 
all different structure of amino acids. And but by having millions of the combination, antibody can target almost any types of the cell. And what we do here in Gen GenEdit is that we make thousands of the polymer nanoparticle system and we test them in the primary cell that that is like kind of that is from the organ that we are interested in. And so by doing in vivo testing, we screen out the polymer that interacts with the organ that we are interested in. And also like scientifically there have been many studies testing a particular small molecule or peptide sequences that has demonstrated that it can bind to specific cell types. And then we incorporate those types of the structure to our polymer nanoparticle so that we can deliver our cargo to the target tissue. What are you trying to deliver? So you, you, you're trying to bind a substance to a polymer nanoparticle. And I guess your first goal is for the nanoparticle to navigate the cell membrane and be taken inside the cytoplasm. Is that what you, the mechanism is for a start? That is right. And there are a number of mechanisms like kind of that kind of nanoparticles rely on. One part is like receptor-mediated endocytosis. If a part of the polymer interacts with the receptor, which is presented on the cellular membrane, then the cell like induce endocytosis to take off the nanoparticle. That is one part. And there are also like many different mechanisms called like yeah, phenocytosis and a number of others that also like kind of take off the nanoparticle. So relying on those mechanisms, like we deliver the nanoparticle and the cargo inside to the cell. So endocytosis, what does that look like? It's, it, what does a cell do when it uh, utilizes endocytosis? Does it, you know, open up a part of the membrane or does it um, give off some kind of fluid-filled vesicle that engulfs material and pulls it inside? What does it look like? Yeah, that's like, I mean, what you describe is like quite, yeah, quite, quite accurate. So that things that happen is like kind of just like project a part of the cellular membrane and then take it off and close. And by doing that, it forms a vesicle called endosome. And the nanoparticles goes inside that's like that specific vesicle. And then, then like cell try to like digest the things inside the endosome. And one feature of our polymer nanoparticle system is that in that endosomer environment, the polymer interacts with the membrane to release the cargo into the cytoplasm. So kind of releasing the cargo outside endosome. Okay, so it, it, this package is taken inside the cell and then what happens? Does the, is the cell somehow inspecting the contents of it? Is it uh, segregating it in the cytoplasm? Does it move towards the nucleus? Like how would, how would this uh, package act once it's inside the cell? Yeah, so inside the endosome, like it starts changing the pH. So like it becomes like more and more acidic condition. 
that helps like digest of the molecule. And then polymer in like a bit acidic condition, it starts interacting with the endosomal membrane. And that lipid structure becomes loosened by the polymer interaction. And then kind of things which was inside the endosome is released to the cytoplasm. So that in our case, we deliver kind of many different types of the nucleic acid. And let's say like temporary example, like if we deliver mRNA, the mRNA is like delivered into the like cytoplasm. And that is like where all the translation happens so that all the, like using the kind of translationary machinery inside the cell, the mRNA produces the gene that we are interested in. Let's say there can be some functional protein that, it, that can do the function that is missing in rare genetic disorders. Okay. So, so mRNA is essentially the goal to get inside the cell, and the mRNA will interact with the DNA, and w will it rearrange some of the codons? Will it delete some of the codons, snip them out, or what will it do? So, yeah, like your your question, maybe I can clarify a little bit. So let's say that, sure. yeah, there are like two different approaches. So one approach is a gene therapy. Gene therapy is a, like an approach providing a gene that is missing in the patient. And then in this case, like producing the target protein is the goal. And then that is the way of treatment. And the second case is a gene editing. And gene editing approach, what people do is providing a genetic seizures. And using a genetic seizures, we target a very specific DNA sequences. And recently, many people use CRISPR-Cas9 for this purpose. And we cut the sequence with CRISPR-Cas9. And then we change the specific DNA sequence so that now the cell has a DNA that is repaired so that it can produce the right protein that we, that we want to cure, so that it can be used to cure genetic disorders. Hmm. Interesting. So how are you testing this? Are you using mouse models? Or what's the, the yes. setup in the lab to, to, to test this? Yeah. So like kind of currently there are a number of different like kind of studies are going and we have kind of our first paper was a CRISPR gold paper which we published in Nature Biomedical Engineering 2017. And in that paper we described that Duchenne muscular dystrophy carrying mouse can have a genetic editing as we deliver CRISPR-Cas9 and the donor DNA sequence to it. And that was a type of the mouse study. And also the other part of the mouse study that we have published was a kind of fragile X syndrome mouse model, which was like conducted together with our collaborator. And in that, in that study, we used a mouse model that has a mutation causing a fragile X syndrome. 
Fragile X syndrome is a kind of big part of the autism, and but we clearly know a genetic cause, and a part of the chromosome is like condensed because of a specific mutation. So what we have done was like we have shown that CRISPR-Cas9 delivery into the brain and can actually change a kind of gene genetic sequences. And that can actually change the behavior of the, like, of the animal, in this case, fragile X mouse model. So how long after you administer the therapy do you see uh, changes in the mouse? The genetic changes after the injection, we start seeing from next day, and usually all genetic modification is is complete is completed within a few days, and then we start seeing the mRNA changes and the protein changes following, and once those kind of effects established and cells are good and start doing all the all the right thing that we expect. That is the time that we see actually functional changes of the system. And in in those studies we have like followed the mouse for a few months and then check that we continuously see the effects. Oh so once the effects happen they seem to be permanent? So like that is a really important question. So either one injection can be a real a permanent cure. So that depends on the organ or cell types that we are targeting. So let's say that if we target stem cells and those stem cells linger inside our body for a really long period of time so that we are going to have on like kind of therapeutic effect almost like permanently, which is like fantastic thing. But currently the technology is still evol evolving and we need to do really long-term studies, what type of the cells that we are targeting. And in our case, let's say like kind of muscle injection and muscle kind of, there is a, some level of regeneration of the muscle so that if we are only targeting muscle myocytes, we may have an effect until the muscle regenerates, which can be like kind of months to years. But if we targeted muscle stem cells, the effect can be almost permanent. And the other mm -hmm. case for the nervous system, the neurons are the one there is no regeneration almost no regeneration. There are very few population of neurostem cells, but it is in very limited area of the brain. So in those cases, the effect of gene editing can be almost, can be assumed to be almost permanent. What about uh, tissues that have fast dividing cells versus very slow dividing cells? You know, how do you expect this would have an effect in a tissue where, you know, new cells are created every day versus ones that take, uh, you know, that will last for years? Yes, I think that is a very interesting question because, like, 
that is like kind of biology that we are facing. Let's say that like hepatocytes are the one that divide very quickly if there is any damage into the liver. And in those type of like kind of fast dividing cells, kind of delivery of the kind of Cas9 is easy. And also the like kind of gene editing, cutting the sequence with the DNA, with the Cas9 is like a lot easier. So and that is like one part that people are seeing differences between a non-dividing cell to the fast dividing cell. And biology is like quite different. And that is something we need to do further study to fully understand. But so far, many of the like scientists who has worked with CRISPR-Cas9 at least show that cutting the DNA sequence has been quite efficient in most of the cell types, regardless non-dividing and dividing. But obviously, there is a difference in terms of efficiency. Hmm. Okay. So um, this is appearing to work in the mouse models. Um, what would be your next steps? How do you get this yeah. into, uh, you know, you, do you want to test it on more different types of animals? Or, you know, how do you move yeah. forward, let's say, with a clinical trial to test this in people? Absolutely. I mean, this is like a really exciting technology that we can change the genetic sequences or we deliver a genetic component, but at the same part of it, because it's a new type of the therapy that we haven't had much before. So a number of different safety studies needs to be conducted, and we have done a lot in the rodent system that includes mouse and rats. And then going for the higher org organism, in some of the cases it can be dog, and in some, some of the cases it can be non-human primate. So those type of studies need to be conducted before going into human. Okay. What, what, how long do you think it's going to take to get onto the right pathways to get this done? Will it be many years, or do you expect in the next few years that we're going to have some... Uh, clinical trials in humans? Oh, yes. I I definitely think that in a few years, we are going to see trials in humans. And I can give like a few examples, like what people have done with like gene editing technology. And one company is like Sangamo. And Sangamo has, has been using a like order generation of a genetic seizure called Jink finger nucleases, and they have done like lots of the testing, and then they are currently in phase one and two clinical trial for a few of the indications that they are looking into. So that is like kind of very first clinical trial ongoing with gene engineering, gene editing concept, and then there are a couple of other. CRISPR companies, kind of CRISPR therapeutics and editors are starting a phase one clinical trial with CRISPR-Cas9 and its application in three different areas. Like one is in the in the eye, the other is in blood cells. Okay. So um, any other, uh, I mean, any big challenges that you see that you're working on that we didn't discuss? In relation to this, I mean, 
in the mouse models, it looks like you got it. It's starting to work. Um, you know, what, what do you consider to be the big challenges ahead for the near-term ones? Previously, kind of a number of different tries that people had, and kind of one big challenge that people faced was a translation of the research from rodent system to non-human priming, because like rodent is a great animal model system, but it's a like tiny animal and quite different to human. So that many delivery system has not succeeded after like kind of translating into non-human primate or the human. So to mitigate the risk that happens to gen genetic technology, we have been using a systematic approach. We have like thousands of the polymers that we kind of have in our library. And then we understand, we try to understand the biology better. And we have a big, big data set that we have generated in both in vitro and in vivo system. And by combining the data, we have a better prediction what is gonna happen with a specific structure of the polymer nanoparticle. So those are the things that we try to overcome in our next step of development. What happens to the, the polymer nanoparticles, you know, once they go into a cell? Are they um, digested? Are they, I mean, where do they go? Does the body uh, see them as mm -hmm, waste mm -hmm. and clean them out? I mean, what happens? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is like very important question because like delivery kind of we have been showing in the works, but what happens to the polymer after that? We want to like kind of, we, like initially we re really wanted to design a system that can be easily digested inside a cell so that the backbone structure of the, our polymer, it is something that is recognized by cellular proteases so that those, what, after the delivery, the proteases come and digest the polymer very rapidly. And that is the way to minimize the toxicity that we have with this like unique vehicle system. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Kunu, what's the best way for people to find out more about the process and maybe get in contact with questions or ideas for collaboration? Oh, yeah. We have a beautiful delivery technology and we have many collaborators who are using our technology for various gene therapy and gene editing applications. And you can like find more information about our company. It's like it's like genetic like com our website. And also you can email like us, info at genedit.com. And that is a like kind of easy way to find more information and also like contact us. Okay. Well very good. Well, Kunwoo, thank you for coming on the podcast, and it's like super interesting work that you're doing. Thank you. It's my pleasure. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, 
and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.